I don't intend to preach on the reading from the gospel that I just read, but I thought I'd mention something that you might want to file on ice and bring out to amaze your friends. Or uh, The house that Jesus went to that belonged to Simon and Andrew is one of the uh, ten most important archaeological discoveries of the last 30 years. They have found the house in Capernaum where Peter lived, um, and they even the most skeptical and rudely scientific uh, biblical archaeologist uh, acknowledges that this, in fact, is Peter's house where Jesus healed his mother or mother-in-law of a fever. You notice, of course, uh, some of you more than others may notice that as soon as her, the uh, mother was healed, she was up serving. Is there coffee? <laughs> Boy, that, that was went over nowadays. Listening to that might not be the best encouragement. <laughs> Who knows? But it is interesting. Uh, as is true, of course, they built a big chapel over this house now, so it probably has uh, uh, had some uh, uh, down effect on, on sort of the interesting nature of the site. The reason it's important is that it gives you some insight into what uh, how people lived then, obviously, but also how the development of house churches was something that predates the, the meeting in church buildings after the Constantinian settlement. I wrote this sermon uh, this week, and it was uh, when I began it, it was because I thought I had a brainstorm, and this is always risky, uh, somewhat like I've told you before about dreaming. You know, I... I spent some time many years ago thinking it was important to write your dreams down. So I remember one night I, I had this dream, and in it I thought, you know, this is the most brilliant thing I have ever thought or said. So I woke up, it was 3 a.m., and I wrote it down and went back to sleep. And at 6.30 when I get up in the morning, I picked up the pad next to the bed and it said, Ice cream has no bones. <laughs> it is. <laughs> So bear with me anyway. I haven't preached in this section between Epiphany and Lent much uh, on the readings from 1 Corinthians, and I thought I'd use it as an opportunity to talk a little bit about St. Paul and a way of understanding how he, uh, what drives him in his missionary work. He often gets a bad press, certainly among more liberal Christians. And I wanted to say some things to you about a particular uh, theological outlook that is uh, attributed to Paul and certainly is present in his writings, but may not, in fact, be the centerpiece of his understanding of how God works with the world. But first, uh, this is sort of appropriate because... Uh, the, the last dean of the seminary that I went to when I was there, Dean John Roof, 
uh, was a New Testament scholar and he wrote a commentary on 1 Corinthians. He was the sort of guy who'd walk into class with no notes and only a little copy of the Greek New Testament. So he'd come in and whatever part of Paul's corpus we were reading, he would open it up and make a simultaneous translation from the Greek into English and then we'd talk about it. So he said to us, I remember this very forcefully one time, one of the first classes, Christianity is not a religion that is based on a book. It is not a religion that is based on a particular set of moral or ethical principles. It is not a religion that is based on a particular set of liturgical formularies. It is a religion that is based on and in a person, Jesus of Nazareth. And by virtue of that belief, we have discovered a way now to see in him the template that we lay over our own spiritual life and maturity. And by virtue of that, we have discovered that God has a plan for us corporately as the people of God and a plan for each one of us to cooperate in God's purposes for the cosmos. And so the Christian faith in life is bound up with the importance of following the Savior on the way, which means that it is a process of discovery about how we proceed, what God has in mind for us, and how we seek and know the truth. No one person or group has ever or will ever possess the whole truth. And But all Christian people are called to know the truth as they seek to be faithful. And Paul is an example of somebody who began to understand his ministry in a way that was consistent with that outlook. And John Roof used to speak of that practically in every lecture that he gave on the Paul class, which the dean always taught. That was the tradition at Mishota House when I went there. Martin Luther, who, uh, as somebody that also taught me, referred to as a seminal mind, whether you agree with him or not, was beset by a problem. And the problem was this. He never felt comfortable spiritually or emotionally. He just couldn't get that anything he did or thought or believed was going to get him anywhere. He didn't feel saved. He was anxious and worried and nervous. And then he read Paul's epistle to the Romans. And in it, he read that we are not saved by anything we do. We are saved by our faith. And for him, that was the moment when the scales fell off the eyes, when his heart was set free, and he came to the conclusion that this was the centerpiece of the Christian faith in life. And not only was that so, but it was the centerpiece of Paul's outlook about how human beings and God relate one to another. 
In the last 35 or 40 years, there has been a sea change in Pauline scholarship with regard to what the centerpiece of Paul's theology is. This is very important because what appears that the evidence has now given up to us is that it isn't salvation by faith through grace that is the centerpiece of Paul's theology, but participation in Christ. And that, in fact, salvation by grace through faith was a device and a point of view that he used to address certain pastoral problems that had arisen in some of the congregations that he founded and now was hearing from with regard to the problems that they had. Now, participation in Christ has something to do with the invitation to be on the way, with the invitation to understand that you do have a purpose, that in fact you are necessary for the bringing into fullness God's plan for the cosmos, and therefore we might understand that the way in which God's saving power is at work in the world is not one way, but plural ways. Paul never had any problem with his own sense of righteousness. Never. He says more than once in his writings that he is blameless before God. And he means it. He kept the law meticulously. If in the covenanted people of God, of which he was a part, he was without reproach and said this more than once. He's not neurotic as a bed bug over his salvation. He knows he's in. But he's come to a conclusion that if you accept Christ and participate in his teaching, in his words, and in his works, which means that you touch the deepest part of what it means to be a human being, so are you even if you haven't kept the law. And so this participation is the thing by virtue of which you do, and now you know how to move forward to knowing the truth for yourself and for your community of faith. Paul understood himself to be the apostle to the Gentiles. The Jewish apostle to the Gentiles. And today we have one of the well-known lines in the New Testament that Paul writes, and that is, I was all things to all people. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, when my family used that terminology, it was not approvingly <laughs> of individuals, right? Well, he or she, they're, they're all things to all people. It meant in some way that you had no principles. And that's not what Paul means. The thing is this. 
Paul receives a very bad press because in various parts of his writings, he gives us lists of what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And after a while, it sounds, first of all, a little bit cranky. And for some, completely off-putting. Here's what a biblical scholar wrote about this issue, which he's struggling with in Corinth and in other places that aren't Jewish, but Gentile. The members of Paul's churches thought through the practical consequences of Paul's own theology in a way different than his. Since he believed his own behavior resulted from the Spirit of God which dwelt within him, if the converts had that same Spirit, their behavior should be like his. And his behavior was, on the whole, Jewish. One of the biggest issues in the development of the history of ideas, if you were to go to a college and take one of those you know, intellectual history of Western civilization things, was Athens and Jerusalem doing this in the New Testament period. And Paul is responsible for that process. And what he doesn't say explicitly in his writings, it is very important for us appropriating this and making it part of our own personal history is, whenever we come to anything, we bring ourselves with us. Right? Dean David Bird, the dean of the cathedral here in San Jose, said, wherever you go, there you are. Right? So Paul, as much as he might try to push to the side his influences, has them nonetheless. And that is neither good or bad. It is just what it is. And so do we. All of us are formed and shaped by our past in good and bad ways. You know, I told you I attempt from time to time to get up in the morning and make two lists, things to do, things not to do. And that informs who we are and where we are. In the recovery movement, there's something called doing a geographic. Doing a geographic is, you know what, I've come to the conclusion that Los Gatos is a pit. I simply can't live here. The people here are terrible. I have never been able to get... I'm, I'm just not... I'm out of sorts with everything. My life isn't going well. I just... It's, I, I, I need to go somewhere else. And if I go somewhere else, things will be better. So I leave Los Gatos and I move to New Haven, Connecticut. And I'm in New Haven, Connecticut, and after about nine months to a year, I say to myself, you know, New Haven, Connecticut is a pit. <laughs> the people here are no better than they were in Los Gatos. I don't seem to be able to get off dead center. I don't know what I'm going to do. What's the only constant? <laughs> Hello? 
So when Paul says he's going to be all things to all people, he never can totally let go of the fact that he is formed and shaped as a member of the covenanted community, the people of God, that he has received blessing from. And yet at the same time he needs to confront that these Gentile communities have something to teach him. And so there is in his spiritual condition the understanding that there needs to be some kind of willingness to be open to the practical wisdom that he receives from these Gentile communities. And by extension, he then becomes a bridge person between the Gentile communities who have taught him some stuff and the Jewish community who have fixed views about what you ought to be doing if you're a true Christian. And the pastoral situation on the ground in Corinth is you've got some real hardcore Gentiles there, obviously, and you have a group who've come in who said, if you want to be a faithful Christian, you have to keep the law. That's the only way to do that. You know? And Paul says, I need to understand that the gospel comes to you free of charge. And that doesn't mean just with a financial issue involved. It means with being freighted with any shoulds and shouldn'ts that become the centerpiece of what it is that we do in the Christian faith and life. So I guess the lesson this week would be to see and remember that no matter where you go, you bring yourself with you. That that's both a blessing and it has a downside. And that when you understand participation in God, you understand the centerpiece of Paul's theology. The Eastern Orthodox know this better than any Western Christian. They have a fancy term for it, theosis. Deification, it's called in English. And that means that as the individual Christian person and as communities of faith who become healthy in their relation one to another become more mature, they become less unlike God. And that the goal of the Christian life is to move in that direction. To use Western terminology, it's Father Thomas Keating. We are not God, but our true self is God. So Paul is talking today about what it's going to mean for him to understand more deeply and fully his true self. And so maybe that's what we should take with us this week to ask God help us to live into the promise that we can be faithful to our true selves. Amen.